1: This is the Chorus Call Conference Operator. Welcome to Vessima Network's first quarter fiscal year 2020 results conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode, and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. Analysts and institutional investors who wish to join the question queue, simply press star and 1 on your touchstone phone. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Should anyone need assistance during the conference call, they may signal an operator by pressing star and zero on their telephone. Presenting today on behalf of Vesima Networks are Sumit Kumar, President and CEO, and Dale Booth, Chief Financial Officer. Today's call will begin with executive commentary on Vesima's financial and operational performance for the first quarter fiscal year 2020 results. Lastly, the call will finish with a question-and-answer period for analysts and institutional investors. The press release announcing the company's first-quarter fiscal year 2020 results, as well as detailed supplemental investor information, are posted on Vesima's website at www.vesima.com under the Investor's Heading. The highlights provided in this call should be understood in conjunction with the company's unaudited interim condensed consolidated financial statements, and accompanying notes for the three months ended September 30, 2019 and 2018. Certain statements in this conference call and webcast may constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of applicable securities laws. All statements other than statements of historical fact are forward-looking statements. These statements include, but are not limited to, statements regarding management's intentions, belief, or current expectations with respect to market and general economic conditions, future sales and revenue expectations, future costs and operating performance. These statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve risks and uncertainties that are difficult to predict and or are beyond our control. A number of important factors could cause actual outcomes and results to differ materially from those expressed in these forward-looking statements. These factors include, but are not limited to, the current significant general economic uncertainty and credit and financial market volatility, and the distinctive characteristics of Decima's operations and industry and customer demand that may have a material impact on or constitute risk factors in respect of Decima's future financial performance, as set forth under the heading Risk Factors in the company's annual information form dated September 26, 2019 a copy of which is available at www.cedar.com. In addition, the forward-looking statements in these earnings calls are based on what management believes are reasonable assumptions. Such assumptions may prove to be incorrect. Consequently, attendees should not place undue reliance on such forward-looking statements. In addition, these forward-looking statements relate to the date on which they are made. Bessima disclaims any intention or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, except as required by law. At this time, I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Kumar to proceed with his remarks. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, and good morning, everyone. As you know, our industry is on the cusp of two seismic technological evolutions. One is the cable industry's move to gigabit broadband speeds via distributed access architecture, or DAA. The other is global media's shift from traditional video to IPTV technologies. As is always the case with these kinds of shifts, there's a lengthy period of major R&D and standards work that needs to be tackled by the industry and vendors alike. Then activity accelerates as the transition nears reality and we move closer to commercialization of our new technologies. It's been just seven weeks since we held our year-end conference call, and in that short time, we've made further advances, and our recent progress reinforces that we are now moving into this next phase with both DAA and IPTV. On the DAA front, we've widened the already significant number of MSOs engaged in lab or field trials with our new entraproducts, with even more engagements in Q1. There are now 19, up from the 16 when we talked to you last, with field trials getting underway for a set of these already. As we discussed on our last call, one Tier 1 MSO has already signed a master purchase agreement for our, our remote Pi nodes and monitor. We have significantly deepened our engagement with this customer, progressing through approvals, initial field trial, and moving into deployment, into the deployment project planning phase. Meanwhile, in another development, we have received our first order for the intro video qualm manager. This happened subsequent to the quarter end with the order coming from US Tier 2 MSO. Video Qualm Manager is a new addition to the ENTRA family. It integrates video in a DAA environment by leveraging existing infrastructure and maximizing the efficiency of fiber usage. Essentially, it brings an open approach to DAA deployments by providing operators choice as to how video services are deployed, while significantly reducing operational costs. I'm pleased to report that its unique features earned VideoCom Manager 4 Diamonds at the recent Broadband Technology Report 2019 Diamond Technology Awards. This is a significant honor. And Video Qualm Manager is just one of a growing ecosystem of new ENTRA products that are creating DA revenue opportunities for Vesima. During the first quarter, we also launched the ENTRA interactive video controller. This is a head-end device that provides legacy set-top boxes with two-way interactive capabilities required for video on demand, switch digital video, management and other functionalities, both for pre-DAA and DAA networks. There are millions of these set-top boxes currently deployed in US cable networks that are central to MSO residential video revenue. As DAA rolls out, our, our interactive video controller will be essential to operators. Yet another, another new ENTRA development, and one that puts us in a further differentiated position in the vendor landscape, is our announcement of the new ENTRA EN8124 node, which supports two remote devices in a single node. We announced, that this, product, <coughs> we announced this product early in October, and we, will prove, and we believe it will prove to be a major advantage for MSOs who want to deploy higher density configuration in order to leverage the cost of pulling fiber and installing nodes. With this solution, customers pay for housings and power supply once, but get double the density in the node, both upstream and downstream. So a considerable number of achievements on the DAA front as we built out our Entra portfolio deepened our engagement with a growing number of MSOs and attracted initial orders. And for our IPTV platforms, the momentum is also building. We said on our last call that we anticipate over 20% revenue revenue growth from our content delivery and storage segment in fiscal 2020 as more customers escalate the move to IPTV. We got off to a great start in the first quarter with segment sales climbing 31% year over year. This upswing is particularly significant because it's a reflection of the growing demand for our IPTV solutions during what is typically a seasonally slow quarter for the content delivery storage segment in Q1. Some of the demand came from three new IPTV customers that we attracted during the period.
3: This included
2: a Tier 1 in Latin America of deploying our CDN and storage solutions for IPTV deployment in its footprint. We also secured IPTV network wins and orders from two new North American MSO customers. This now brings to 20 the number of operators using Bessemer platforms to deliver IP video. In addition, we furthered our relationship with the Tier 1 MSO in Europe to expand our IP linear and on-demand platform with them. And we initiated sales of a major software release upgrade with the World Top 5 MSO, where our platform is providing on-demand video across 75% of their footprint. Sales of this upgrade are expected to be robust with this operator in fiscal 2020. I should mention that our content delivery and storage segment was also the recipient of a four-diamond honor at this year's BTR Diamond Technology Review Awards. The award recognized our MediaScalex storage solution, a video-optimized, software-defined storage platform that is differentiated from massive-scale IPTV. The judges highlighted both the scalability and the ingenuity of our solution. So, a very busy and productive first quarter. This was also true for our telematics segment, where we continue to build market for our new Nero GPS asset tracking products. I'm pleased to report we've added six new customers and now have over 2,000 movable assets being tracked with our solution, tying to roughly 250 commercial fleet vehicles. Financially, our results for the first quarter were in line with our expectations. We anticipated modest revenues from our video and broadband solution segment with our legacy products tapering off in advance of initial sales for our next generation products. But our strong Q1 content delivery and storage segment sales provided a boost year over year. Combined, we delivered first quarter sales of 20.1 million and adjusted EBITDA of 1.8 million. And, we close the quarter with a healthy cash balance of $41.3 million, in keeping with our continued focus on maintaining financial flexibility and strength. Turning to some recent corporate developments, I am very pleased to announce again that we have added, added to our top executive team with Dale Booth, our new CFO, and Dean Rockwell, our new executive VP. Vesma recently promoted these two seasoned and talented members of our leadership team and we're delighted that our succession planning process allowed us to groom and ultimately elevate strong internal executives to senior leadership roles. Overall, it's been a great start to what we expect to be a pivotal year for Vesma. And I'll now turn the call over to Dale to provide more detail on our first quarter financial results, Dale.
0: Thank you, Sumit. For the purpose of this call, we assume that everyone has seen our first quarter fiscal 2020 news release and financial statements that are posted on Vesma's website. I will present the relevant numbers and discussions around overall results, market segments, operational expenses and the balance sheet. Please note that the results for the first quarter of fiscal 2020 include three full months of operating results from our acquisition of content agent. That business is now part of the content delivery and storage segment. We adopted IFRS 16 leases on July 1, 2019. The adoption has resulted in the reporting of right of use assets of 5.1 million and long-term debt of 5.7 million. The net impact to the income statement as a consequence of the adoption of IFRS 16 was insignificant the implementation of IFRS 16 does not have an impact on cash flows. Starting with consolidated sales for the three months ended September 30th, 2019, we generated sales of $20.1 million. This was a slight decrease of 3% from 20.7 million in Q4 and 6% lower than 21.3 million in Q1 last year. The year-over-year decrease reflects the expected decline in legacy product sales in our video and broadband segment, largely offset by increased content delivery and storage sales. Within the video and broadband solution segment, we generated sales of 7.5 million. This was up 8% from Q4, but 34% lower than in the same period last year. First quarter, Terrace family sales of 4.7 million were up 16% as compared to Q4 fiscal 2019, primarily due to the timing of customer orders. But year over year, they were 33% lower as customers near the end of their digital network conversions and sales of the TC600E decrease. Terrace QAM sales of 1.9 million were up from 1.7 million in both Q4 fiscal 2019 and the same period last year. While we believe demand for Terrace is nearing saturation, we're currently seeing an uptick in ordering activity prior to our lead customer moving to the next generation platform. This could continue into the second quarter. In the content delivery and storage segment, first quarter revenues increased 31% year over year to 11.3 million. This primarily reflects the expansion of our customer base and strong demand for IPTV solutions, as well as the timing of large orders. While content delivery and storage solution sales were a little lower than the 12.5 million generated in Q4, this was still a very strong result for the seasonally slower Q1 period. Turning to the telematics segment, sales in the first quarter were solid at 1.4 million. This was on par with the 1.4 million we achieved a year ago and a little higher than the 1.3 million generated in Q4 fiscal 2019, in line with our expectations. Gross margin for the first quarter was 52%, up from 49% in Q4 2019, and slightly lower than 53% in Q1 of fiscal 2019. Video and broadband solutions gross margin was 40% in the current year quarter. This was a little lower than 48% a year ago, which reflects a slightly lower sales, partially offset by a weakening Canadian dollar relative to the US dollar. Gross margin in the content delivery and storage segment decreased to 53% from 55% in Q1 last year due to a higher percentage of product sales with a lower gross margin. In the telematics segment, gross margin in the quarter increased to 72% from 68% during Q1 Fiscal 19, reflecting lower beacon amortization. Turning to first quarter operating expenses, the notable changes year over year were as follows. R&D expenses increased to $5.1 million from $4.6 million in Q1 Fiscal 2019 as we continue to invest in research and development to support the launch of new products. Until these new products are commercialized, development costs are deferred to future periods. Sales and marketing expenses increased by $500,000 to $3.7 million due to increased staffing costs and the addition of content agent expenses. G&A expenses remain stable at $4 million. The addition of expenses from our newly acquired content agent business was offset by lower amortization expenses year over year. Total OPEX in Q1 increased slightly to $12.8 million from $12.5 million during the same period last year. This reflects higher operating expenses in the content delivery segment, partially offset by a reduction of costs in video and broadband solutions. I note that reported R&D expense in a period is typically different than the actual expenditure. That's because certain R&D expenditures are deferred until product commercialization. Adjusting for deferrals, amortization of deferred development costs and income tax credits, actual R&D investment for the quarter decreased to 6.1 million or 30% of sales from 7.8 million or 37% of sales in the same period last year. They were also down slightly from the 6.2 million in Q4 fiscal 2019. The year over year change was primarily the result of lower staffing and subcontracting costs in the current year quarter. We reported an operating loss of 2.3 million in Q1 as compared to an operating loss of 1.3 million in Q1 fiscal 2019. This was due to lower contribution from the video and broadband solutions segment and to a lesser degree from the content delivery and storage segment. Net loss for the quarter was 1.4 million or six cents per share. This compares to net loss of 1.1 million or five cents per share in Q1 fiscal 19. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the first quarter with 41.3 million in cash and short-term investments. Working capital decreased to 54.8 million from 58.3 million in Q4 of fiscal 2019, reflecting the dividend payable in Q1 fiscal 2020 and an increase in current portion of long-term debt as a result of the adoption of IFRS 16. Finally, cash flow from operations for the first quarter excluding non-cash working capital decreased to 0.5 million from 0.7 million during the same period last year. The 0.2 million dollar decrease reflects a 0.8 million dollar decrease in cash flow from non-cash working capital and a 0.6 million dollar increase in operating cash flow. Now back to Sumit. Thank
2: you, Dale. We continue to anticipate a year of growth in fiscal 2020. In our video and broadband solution segment, our ENTRA DAA products are in various stages of engagement with 19 MSOs and nearing conversion with several. We continue to anticipate the initial sales of our remote PI nodes and remote PI monitor products will kick off in earnest in fiscal 2020. And as discussed, we have already received our first order for the ENTRA Video Call Manager. As I underscored last quarter, initial sales are typically modest, but momentum should start to build as customers move to scale deployment. In our other product families, we're continuing to develop our powerful next generation Terrace IQ platform, and we see potential for a short-term uptick in demand for Terrace Quan in advance of that migration. Overall, however, we're expecting sales of the legacy products will continue to taper off as our customers evolve to next generation platforms. In our content delivery and storage segment, the combination of product enhancements, the further buildup of new customers and the expected shift to higher capital spending on IPTV are all underpinning robust demand. As I noted earlier, we see the potential for over 20% sales growth from this segment in Fiscal 2020. This stems from the increasing pipeline of opportunities for migration to IP video networks including Linear Broadcast, Cloud DVR and Timeshift TV. Once again, we note that this segment can be lumpy, with pronounced quarterly swings possible based on order timing. Finally, in our telematics business, we anticipate incremental growth from the fleet tracking market in fiscal 2020 and expect to see continued growth in demand for our newer movable asset tracking services. In summary, our momentum is building across the board. We are on the precipice of making DAA a reality and moving forward with an exceptional portfolio of highly differentiated intra-DAA solutions. And we are responding to the fast-growing global IPTV opportunity with our powerful Media Scale X family of products. I continue to believe Vesma is one of the vendors best able to take advantage of the near-term opportunities in DAA and IPTV, and I look forward to reporting to you on developments in the coming quarters. That concludes our formal comments for today. We'd now be happy to take questions. Operator?
1: Thank you, sir. We will now begin the question and answer session. Analysts and institutional investors who would like to ask a question, please press star and 1 on their touchstone phone. You will hear a tone to indicate you are in queue. For participants using a speakerphone, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing any keys. If you wish to remove yourself from the question queue, you may press star and two. There will be a brief moment while we poll for questions. The first question comes from David Kwan of PI Financial. Please go ahead.
4: Morning, guys. Morning, David. Morning, David. Morning. Um, first off, I guess just starting on Antra, given uh, I think that's where most of the interest is. Um, I guess it's interesting to see, seeing, I guess, your relative optimism um, in terms of DAA, um, you know, in contrast to kind of some of the more cautious commentary that we're seeing out of some of your competitors, the likes of, of Averis and Cass in particular, um, yeah. who seem to be talking about kind of more measured rollouts and even freezes in spending. So I was kind of curious to get your thoughts on that. You know, is that, you know, your optimism more driven by kind of a stronger competitive position or is there something else kind of going on?
2: Yeah, the way I I try to portray that to you a bit better, David, is that um, you know some of that the the competitors are are speaking about their their timing cycles and whatnot are in a bit of a different segment than us than us in certain respects, and we've we've seen that uh, leading up to where we are today that uh, the the operators have, have started you know their their movement on on cores, CGAP cores for DAA. And, and as we've said before, that, that, that activity tends to proceed when the, the distributed nodes go out, which is our focus, of course, as you know. So, um, you know, in our view, that, that, that the timing cycles are slightly offset in that sense. Um, and we've seen this, you know, as we've talked about many years-long bring-up cycle to get moving on DAA. In our list of 19 engagements, you know, we're seeing very definitive signs of, of, of uh you know the planning processes happening for calendar twenty and and looking at, at the DA rollout with Gen One.
4: Yeah, I I know they've kind of talked about weakness uh more at the core with the CMTSs and whatnot. Um but I didn't know to what extent that might be um you know also translating into kind of the stuff closer closer to the edge. I know harmonic seems to be picking up some nice nice share so um, uh, right, yeah. that it, I didn't know from your perspective what you know what you guys were seeing relative to, to the likes of Casa and, and uh, Aris in particular.
2: Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. And, and like you said about uh, Harmonic is, is making some progress. And and you know we see that kind of feed and digest cycle happen on the TCAP core side, and, and that positions us nicely in terms of our view of, of the edge side, like you say for DAA. Helpful
4: um and then i guess looking at um you know the cable cable uh, mso's um just in general kind of talking about lower capex intensity going forward i think some of that at least is, is due to to lower cpe spending um but curious to see um commentary that you're getting back from, from your customers
2: yeah no i think what what of course we're so narrowly focused on daa for that side of the equation and this this bring up cycle has been uh, um, five or six years deep in operator planning for distributed access and there's all of course this this consensus around Gen One um, and DAA in general being being the, the 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 play for the access network that's what's going to happen and then there's of course the roadmap the DOCSIS 4.0 um, that's down the road so you know. As it relates to DAA specifically, in terms of capital spend, we are seeing you know signs of of uh, of allocation, you know, whereas the overall spend may may be adjusting for for all the different things that the operators are going to spend on, we are seeing focus pl- being placed and priority being placed on DAA, especially with the engagements that we're dealing with, um, and of course we've talked about the tier one and and them entering a capex planning cycle for. For, for distributed node deployment in calendar 20, and, and you know that's core to what, what we're looking at.
4: So in terms of you know I, said, I think especially with the positive developments with that particular customer, um, so should we be expecting I guess, uh, inter revenues to really kind of start to ramp? Um, I guess second half of your fiscal 20, or I guess first half of calendar 20, and um, for from a fiscal 20 perspective you know, could we see revenues get close to and, and maybe even surpass $10 bucks?
2: Yeah, so in terms of some color around quantifying, you know, FY20 when it comes to DAA sales, David, I think, you know, we're still tracking in to drive in modest first-half sales across the, the entire enter family, which, as we talk more about today, is, is really large in terms of the number of different products and that whole ecosystem that we've built up. And that ties to, of course, um, the set of those 19 customers we're engaged with, and the and the you know the flavors that that need to work for for their architectures. So you know we're expecting that between some of the lead tier ones field trial activity, uh, along with some of their you know coverage you know preparation activity for elements like the remote fly monitor, um, that we're going to be on the board in Q2 with them, um, along with some you know smaller upper, operator uptake potential. In other products um, but just like we said seven weeks ago in the q4 call you know starting to see that movement towards scale node deployment that's in our view a calendar 20 event um, you know and the lead tier one will be an anchor there so you know we have the opportunity pipeline 19 operators six tier ones in there 13 other tier mso's um, so several potentials turn you know also turn into deployment in calendar 20 along with that lead tier one that's being the anchor So, you know, on the board, Q2, first half, um, modest, and then, you know, the ramp is calendar 20 event. Okay. Okay. Um,
4: And and on the field trial side for entry, you you obviously got that lead uh, anchor there with the the tier one customer. Are you in any of the field trials at this point, or is that the only one?
2: Yeah, without getting too specific, which I don't want to do... on our call here, I, I would say, you know, yes, the answer is yes. Um, I'm not going to say how many, but, uh, you know, there are uh, more you're, than you're, one other.
4: You're in multiple field trials,
2: assuming? Multiple field trials, yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. Um,
4: and then you, you alluded to it on the, on the DOCSIS 4.0, you know, already seeing um, uh, do, uh, cable uh, MSOs talking about it. Just curious to get – your thoughts on it and kind of where you guys are in terms of your you know product development uh, plans.
2: Sure, sure. So <clears throat> when it comes to DOCSIS 4.0 and, and you know, the, the, the period that we've gone through as the industry has worked towards standardization between FDX and extended spectrum DOCSIS, extended spectrum DOCSIS, you know, was the move to, to go up to, you know, effectively 1.8 gigahertz on the plant. Either of those two solutions, FDX or, or ESD, you know, can can drive the the industry to 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 the 10G, um, you know, dream that we have, and and the the view for the long-term evolution of the coax HFC network, um, you know, that's been ongoing. We've gone through a couple of years of churn on that, and 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 you know, we're happy to see that uh, really the industry is at this point, you know, harmonized on on what that standard looks like, and and it's looking like both you know approaches will will have an appearance in the standard. Um, And, you know, meanwhile, that's creating some stability in terms of, you know, getting going now on DAA with Gen 1 um, with the kind of future narrowing down on on how the roadmap will look long term. So, you know, while, you know, there's several tier ones in the industry that have that consensus view and we think, you know, by and large, it's it's associated with extended spectrum um, and FDX in some isolated cases. Um, you know, we're seeing that pragmatic plan emerge to to get rolling on Gen 1 first, um, and then of course, you know, as the standard matures and finalizes, the the chipsets have to come, um, and we've said that that's that's relevant to, to our development, um, very specifically. So that that's kind of those providers and suppliers have 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 observed this this industry churn around standardization of DOCSIS 4.0, and that's of course led to. Um, all of that moving to the right so you know it's 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 good to see consensus the future and the roadmap is is getting clearer Um, and you know will develop as the case may be but uh, the the best part I think for us of the whole situation is that um, we're looking for the reality of gen 1 deployments now can you talk about the timing of when we
4: could see you know gen 2 you know FDX ESD um, solutions coming out of you guys, and, and to what extent you might, you know, know what's going on with with some of your competitors, is, is that something like it's, uh, you know, likely a calendar 20 and, and maybe second half a calendar 20 type uh, type of event?
2: Yeah, it's not something, David. I'd like to pinpoint right now. Um, you know, with the the, the evolution that's happened in the standards and and the movement of the chipsets, um, as well as you know the the jockeying for for, for things that are happening amongst the amongst the vendor landscape. I'm, I'm not pinpointing it now, but, uh, you know, as, as the market need emerges, especially for our set of customers, um, you know, that we're working with, we have a, a certain view into the timeline of Gen 1 versus Gen 2 transition, and we'll be playing along with that.
4: Um, just a couple uh, more questions uh, here. Um, just as you look out as as intra um, revenues ramp likely, I guess, are stuck to ramp likely in the, in the second half of fiscal 20, how should we be looking at the gross margins? I know in the past um, you guys have kind of talked about gross margins likely coming down as you, you start to see some larger purchase orders. Is that kind of still the expectation there and, and maybe that gross margins might Dip down closer to the you know the 50% margin, maybe a bit below that, um, as you really start to generate significant revenues from the Entra uh, family.
2: Yeah, I think you know in the early days of Entra, we've we've talked about you know high high volume drive, you know creating pricing that the the gross margin is is going to start off at a at a certain point that that's you know a bit lower than where our consolidated gross sits today um but that of course you know um we we look at it in terms of the volume equation and and dropping to the bottom line as as the volume picks up and then of course economies of scale and it will happen in, in in the cost structure and that's all anticipated so um you know while in the early days it's it's going to be lower than our traditional model um you know we're going to be comfortable with that as the top line grows on on the entry family
4: Okay i uh, just- Last question um, on the deferred development cost side uh, came in a bit uh, lower than expected here. I think uh, last quarter you kind of talked about the two point eight to three million dollar quarter range. Is that kind of what we should be expecting going forward?
3: Yeah,
0: we're expecting that two point eight to three million dollars in the next few quarters, uh, consistent with what we uh, had uh, discussed in Q4. Perfect. Thanks,
4: Al. Thanks, guys. Yeah.
1: Thanks, David. The next question comes from Todd Coupland of CIBC. Please go ahead.
5: Uh, good afternoon, everyone, or good morning. Good morning, good morning, Todd. How are you? Good Morning, Todd. I guess. Um, let me start out with OpEx, so $12.8 million, um, seems like you're getting ready to ramp a few new products, so spend rate should start to, to at least level off, I would have thought just talk about what that OPEX level should look like Um, I guess Q2 which not too much revenue growth but then as revenue picks up what should that OPEX number look like
0: yeah I think we're going to see the uh, OPEX um, uptick uh, as a result of um, Amortization of uh, the commercialization of um, in our R&D, so it's really a non-cash event. But uh, you know, we're expecting maybe about six hundred thousand dollars of additional amortization in our R&D as we commercialize our new products. Um, We are seeing um, a ramp up in um, our sales and marketing um, as uh, we move forward, and um, so we would also say that that'd be in that 3.7 to 3.9 range. And uh, the same with G&A, probably gonna bump up to that 4.3 to 4.4 going forward. Um, A bit of that being amortization, and a little of that just um, costs that uh, didn't occur in Q1 pushing out into the future quarters, so.
5: sorry, could you just repeat the G&A number?
0: Uh, 4.3 to 4.4.
5: And, sorry, are those, those are annual num- annual increases or quarterly?
2: That's a quarterly t- burn rate. Yeah, that's GNA. quarterly burn.
5: Yeah. Quarterly burn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's not incremental. That's the a- absolute number. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah that's a,
0: kind of the range we're looking at as we...
5: So incremental of- quarterly amortization, uh, 600,000 per quarter, yes. and then these, these ranges for G&A and, and sales and marketing.
0: Yeah, and I'd say in G&A, there's probably 100,000 of amortization in that number as well.
5: In, in the number you gave us? That's correct. Um, and does the tax rate change at all with uh, with any of this?
0: No, I, I took a look at our tax rates uh, in the quarter. We we're at 24.2% and um, I'd probably guide uh, probably around that 25% mark uh, for the year. Um, on a cash taxes basis, um, we had um, um, over installed in our US operation and you have seen that on our balance sheet of about 400000 and so we're going to benefit from that. Uh, our, our cash taxes will be reduced and that related to a, um, an R&D um, component in our uh, US that uh, we were uh, um, approved for. So. Um, although the tax rate would be about 25, I'm, I'm, our cash taxes should uh, not be as high this year, so we'll take the benefit of that 400.
5: And then, sorry, just one last uh, financial question, and then I have some product questions. The, the 5.7 million debt and then the 1.6 million short term—that that's essentially. What, what what that that's essentially the change with IRFS 16 so those those are just leases is that what that is That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what that is. Um and so we should assume you pay the 1.6 off and then the 5.7 more or less will will remain assuming you continue in those operations, right? Yeah, it,
0: you know but the the leases uh have a finite term to them so uh, those uh costs do get amortized out
5: uh, uh you know
0: until we renew again
5: but uh, they will you're get not, amortized. Out. you're not going to be out buying land so presumably you'd be renewing it as long as the operations are there
2: correct yeah yeah lease, lease
0: renewals
2: you know for, for yeah. capacity we have lease versus own we we,
0: we anticipate renewal. yeah, yeah. okay but you see the on the balance sheet those would get reduced until you get renewed, and then you'd have another uptick fair
1: on... Fair enough,
5: fair enough, enough, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, sure. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, excuse my ignorance uh, on this question. Apologize if I'm just way off on the technology here, but you talked about, um, I think, uh, you, you, you talked about the, the, the video controller for the millions of set-top boxes two-way now with mm-hmm. the head-end device. So, but the the product you're selling is the head end device. So that's that's actually not going in people's homes. It's just controlling those those set top boxes. Is that right?
2: Yeah. You can imagine, you know, one 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 RU rack unit of our of our product in the head end is going to be talking to five to fifteen thousand set top boxes.
5: Okay. And your implication there is that's all going to get replaced with. Uh, with uh, uh, this technology upgrade, is that, is
2: yeah. That so too- you know, our, our our head end, you know, IVC, the video controller, it, it performs that the that functionality that's essential for those two-way set-top boxes to to, to stay alive in the network for for um, you know all the revenue that's being generated out of those quantum set-top boxes. There's about twenty million, give or take, out there. Uh, you know, in U.S. cable networks today. So both pre-DAA um, and um, especially once a DAA transition happens, um, you know, we can serve the pre-DAA solution. We have about 10 times de- the density of any uh, of the legacy platform. That's that's kind of the status quo approach that's in place today. Um, but when DAA happens, um, the legacy platform is rendered kind of bricked in the sense that it will no longer function in our Solution provides that that capability at 10x the density. Um, So you know, as as the DA transition happens, presuming the set top boxes are still in there generating subscription revenues for the customers, which they are today, um, you know, we're we're looking at a sole sourced forced function to move to this platform.
5: Okay. Um, And then just just and I know you don't want to be too precise on on fiscal 20, um, ramp-up revenue and all of that, what do you think the uh, the opportunity for ENTRA product sales is just in the 19 customers you're talking to now?
2: Yeah, so, you know, there's a few different ways of looking at that, I've provided some color that I'll reiterate now that, um, you know, a, a sizable or mid-sized tier one um, to use that 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 definition is 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 once they're ramped up, we view that type of customers as potential for forty to fifty million annually in d a a node spend split across two vendors um, and as I've said, we have about uh six of those tier ones within that group of nineteen, of course at at multiple various stages, some very long term, some very close in hand um and then we have you know thirteen other operators that uh, are, are of the lower tiers. So, you know, in our view when um if you're looking at a forty five million annual customer from a tier one, six of those potential and then thirteen in aggregate, um, you know, of other tiers of customers, you can you can start to put together your picture for, for how we start to, to move forward once scale deployment happens.
5: And I know you've talked about this in the past. You're new to this this, this market. Um where you are now, what's your view of your market positioning let's say in a in a mid tier tier one um two 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 suppliers can you call whether you're gonna be the primary or secondary vendor? Do you have a view on that yet
2: um you know it it's a case by case thing and and we you know in a in a tier one scenario we've we've said before that we think you know um practically speaking it's it's looking like a a two way split type situation and and you know ballpark 50 fifty is a good a good way to look at that um for lower tiers it can be as much you know go as far as as being a single um, node vendor that uh, per per operator that's used just because of the scale of those deployments and the the qualification investments that need to be made um you know in terms of our positioning again a uh, our engagement list speaks to that to a certain extent, um, with with a pretty nice number of tier ones in there. Um, you know, specifically, we've been um, you know a node first vendor from inception, um, and that's you know afforded us the ability, as you've seen with some of the the product uh, you know enhancements we've talked about or expansions we've talked about, um, you know, the ability to to really um, zone in on 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 how DAA is, you know, the desires that the operators have for, for all the features and all the architecture approaches. We've talked about a double density node, the remote fine monitor, which which tackles a, a very important uh, uh, need in the industry for, for DAA node management, monitoring, orchestration, and service assurance. Um, so that's that's all of that, you know, coming from the ground up as we have, has really positioned us as... Um, you know, strong competitively. That we would have had these clean sheet designs, and 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 have broadened our portfolio wide.
5: Mm-hmm. I mean, this seems like, you know, you've been talking about this for a while. You were, a bit, I would have thought, a bit more cautious about where you could get from a market share point of view. I, I mean, 50% is, I mean, in, I mean, increment, incremental to me. Um, would you say that's a fair characterization of what's happened in terms of your confidence in uh, in, in the product and, and market acceptance and, and likely take-up?
2: Yeah, I think specific to the engagements that we're very, you know, um, deeply uh, moving forward in that, that, you know, I think that's a fair statement that, uh, um, you know, us being the one of two, 50% and those types of deployments is, is looking like a... Uh, you know a highly probable scenario. Um, you know overall market is very wide. There's many more than 19 MSOs in the industry worldwide. Um, we're going to grow our list. So you know in terms of overall market, of course, and then the the core versus node thing in terms of the split of the, the overall Doxus market is 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 still a facet today with RemoteFi and core versus MacFi, which is is more of a long-term evolution for our nodes. Um, you know, so in our in our customer reach and, and engagements, we're working in the 50% or more is, is, is a viable situation today. And then overall market, you know, that'll have to grow. Yeah.
5: And then just to the earlier question on some of the peers calling out slowdowns, and you're saying that's a core, core point, um, and that needed to be done before the edge activity could happen. So is, was your point there? The core spending has happened, and now they're ready to deploy on the edge. That's that's our view of, of you know how to think about some of that you know
2: timing cycles in core, um, and and what some of the core specific or core focused vendors are, are are saying about about the timing of their market cycle. Um, you know, there's been leading up to now, we know that operators have been purchasing cores, um, and Harmonic, for example, is, is increasing their core purchases. Um, so that you know is all proceeded at the same time as as DAA is, is, is yet to come situation. So that that cadence of, of core before node is, is how we see that.
5: Okay. Um, and then just very last question for me. So seasonally and when the cable companies will make these decisions um, for POs in calendar 2020. Is there is there any magic? Uh, timing for that. Um, I mean, I guess I guess we get through the beginning of the year. Get into yeah, the I and that, you
2: know that's when they start going. Sorry.
5: No, no, just 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 how they're thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I mean, a lot of operators are, are you know calendar year, um, fiscal, so they're they're obviously have their their budget cycle like, leading up to calendar 20 and. And that's how we, you know, best view seasonality in the customer landscape that uh, you, need, you want to get in those CapEx plans for calendar 20 and, and see some very specific uh, node counts being planned for, which we are in certain cases. So, um, you know, that's 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 a look we have right now that uh, calendar years is there kind of.
5: Um, yeah. Period. So that, presumably those node count CapEx commitments are being made now for, for 2020 and then it's just... When do they actually deploy? Is that's the right way to think about that, right? So the you, get visibli- you have visibility. pretty R&B good visibility now, now, particularly if that core pre-planning has been done, for, uh, and the budgets are getting committed for for the for for the edge nodes. Uh, that's exactly. happening now. So exactly. That's, that's, okay. Good. Uh, perfect. Uh, thanks. Thanks for taking my questions. Appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Todd.
1: Once again, for analysts and institutional investors who would like to ask a question, please press one and uh, star and one on your touchstone phone now. There are no more questions at this time. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.